which comes from James 3. If you want to take a wee minute just to open that in your Bible. So we're speaking from James 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he or she says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce fig figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Laura. And worked hard this morning. <clears throat> and God said, Let there be light. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Words matter. What we have to say matters. It matters in this world, but it matters to God too. Why is that? Well, it's because this world we live in was created and is sustained and governed and ruled by a God who is a speaking God. And those verses I read just now, they show us this. It's by his word that God brought all things into existence. All things that were created, created by God's word. By his word, he gives life to you and me. 
By his word, he makes himself known to us. What his plans for us are, his purposes in life. By his word, he reveals to us who we really are, who we have been created to be, our true identity. Words matter to God, which is why our words matter in this world that he has created. Apparently, the average human being says around 7,000 words every day. There'll be some in this room, uh, like my wife, who speak many, many more than that. She's not even here to defend herself either. But there are some who speak less as well, probably. But so much of what we communicate as human beings is done through what we say to each other, what we have to say. And it's not just the words that we use with our tongues. That's not just how we speak, but we also use words with our fingers now as well. And I think if James had been writing to us now, in this context, rather than the context back then, he'd probably be talking to us about the things that we write on social media, in a WhatsApp group, an email or a text message to a friend. Our words are many, and our words matter. They matter in this world, and they matter to God. That's what James is saying in our passage this morning. Remember why James is writing to these people. This is a church who've gone astray, a church who are far down the road in the wrong direction, and a church that James cares about and wants to bring back onto the right track. And a big reason for their wandering off track is because of their words. They're believers who are saying one thing but then doing another. They're being like double-minded men. Their allegiance is split between God on one side and the world on the other. And that's reflected in the things that they are saying with their mouths. But it's also, we see as we get into chapter 4, which we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, the way they are speaking to each other, this church, is askew as well. Verse 11 of of chapter 4, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. They are saying harsh words to each other. Look at chapter 1 of verse 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So much of the conflict and the strife and the division in this church is because of the words that these people are saying. And James has already said to them in chapter 1 verse 26, And he'll say it again this morning in no uncertain terms. True religion, the kind of religion which is acceptable and pleasing to God, involves keeping a tight rein on our tongue. Because one of the marks of genuine faith is keeping a check on our words. And James is going to tell us this morning how we can actually be people who keep a tight rein on our tongues. Now, we're going to see that that James is not going to tell us to do something that we cannot do, that none of us in this room can do. But he is going to tell us that there is a way for us to uh, have control over the words that we say, to keep a tighter rein on our tongue, and it involves coming to the one who is powerful enough to tame our tongue. It involves having wisdom that comes from him, asking him 
for wisdom, to live and to speak in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to him. So here's where we're going to go this morning, very simply. James is going to tell us two things. He's going to tell us, here's what you need to know, or he's going to say to us, here's what you need to know about the tongue. And then he's going to say to us, here's where you need to go with your words. Here's what you need to know about your tongue, and here's where you need to go with your words. And he gives us three pictures in this passage of what the tongue is like. He says the tongue is small, it's a fire, and it's a spring. The tongue is small, a fire, and a spring. So let's look at the first of those pictures. The tongue is small, but though small, has power way out of proportion to its size. See all the imagery that we get in chapter 3? It all flows from verse 2. Because if you're able to keep your tongue in check, James says, if we're able to bridle our tongue like a horse, then the rest of our body will follow. Control the tongue, you bridle the whole body. James is saying if you want to change the part of you which leads to the words that you speak, then the rest of your body will fall in line too. So interesting. And the first illustration that James uses to make this point is bits in the mouths of horses. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Those small, tiny metal bits which are put into the mouths of horses, they are small, but even though they're small, the rider can use them to control the whole horse, to guide and direct and steer this great animal. And the same is true of ships, James says in verse 4. Look at ships. Though, uh, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. The rudder the tiniest part of the ship, even though it's small, is able to control and direct a massive cruise ship in whatever way the pilot desires. James says, look how powerful these small things are. And we could add to that our own example. Look at how small and yet how powerful the coronavirus is. It's microscopic in size. No human eye can see it. Yet it has changed things and influenced things across this whole world in this last year and a half. Over 200 million cases, over 4 million deaths worldwide. It has brought the world at times to a standstill, economies to their knees. It's a simple but it's a profound point that James is making here. The tongue is so small so small in comparison to the rest of our body, but has control, power to control in ways that are way out of proportion to its size. It's capable of great boasts, James says in verse 5. There's no denying that our words have an enormous impact on each other. They can impact the direction of our lives. They can have a massive influence on the lives of other people as well. Your mind maybe goes to specific things that someone has said to you in the past or that you've said to someone else. Those words that have shaped you as a person, maybe positively, maybe negatively. A teacher, a coach, a parent who said something to you that you will never forget. 
you'll never amount to anything. I'm so proud of you. What you did is unforgivable. I hope you know that. I'm thankful to have you in my life. I'm leaving you and I won't be back again. Listen to a few of the verbs the Bible uses when talking about the tongue. Listen to what the tongue can do. This is just the tongue the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about our hands or our feet. These words are for the tongue. The tongue is the power to lie, insult, honor, dishonor, rebuke, encourage, heal, stir up anger, build up, destroy, satisfy, slander, soothe, crush, bring life, and bring death. Most of those words come from the book of Proverbs, and we've seen how James is almost like the Proverbs of the New Testament in the way he writes. And the book of Proverbs and James here are saying that with the words we speak, we have the power to do any number of those, one, uh, any number of those things. With our words, we are poking and prodding each other all the time, shaping and molding, stretching and pulling, putting a gentle arm around the shoulder, or twisting a jagged knife in the back. Here's something we've all maybe heard or said ourselves before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But the reality is it's just not true. Words have the power to hurt, to wound and maim in ways that we may never fully heal from. Some of the things people say to me, it's like they want to cut me to my soul. That's what Selena Gomez, the most followed person on Instagram in the world, had to say about people's words. They said. That's all a lady in Los Angeles had written on her suicide note discovered by the police last year. They said. James says the tongue is small, but despite that, it has power way out of proportion to its size. Power for good, yes, absolutely, but incredible power for evil as well. And that's the second point that he goes on to make here. The tongue is a fire with the potential for mass destruction. Look at verses five and six. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. See the contrast James is making again? The smallness of the fire. In the NIV, it says it's just a spark. That's all it takes. But look at the greatness of the forest that it sets ablaze. I don't know if you've seen pictures, I'm sure you have, of the devastation caused by a forest fire before. Think back to the gorse fire that happened in the Mourns back in April last year. Or the forest fires in Australia towards the end of 2019. Towns and communities ripped from their homes. Thousands upon thousands of acres of land decimated by fire. Billions, they reckon billions of animals are thought to have died in those Australian forest fires. 
And all it takes to start a raging inferno like that is a small spark. The tongue is a fire, a weapon of mass destruction in our mouths. It's a world of unrighteousness, James says. Do you see what he's saying? This is where the tongue stands apart from all the other members of the body because the tongue has the capacity for evil like nothing else. It's an entire ecosystem of sin, a world of evil, continents of wickedness, vast, uncharted territories of evil. It is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The tongue is a ready tool in the hands of God's enemy within us, the devil. It's what corrupts the whole body, James says, stains everything. Every part of our body is unlike the tongue, but yet every part of our body is infiltrated and infected by its evil. Every area of life scorched and charred by its fires. And the tongue, if you think about it, it's so much more than just what comes out of our mouths. Because we cannot think without forming our thoughts by words. We're continually in conversation with ourselves and our minds. We cannot write an email or a text without talking it through in our minds. We cannot be jealous without conversing with ourselves as to why we're right to feel the way we do. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening, listening to the voice of self-pity. You see what the tongue is? It's more than just the words that come out of our mouths. It's a controlling nature. The whole body is stained by the tongue. And James, he's not just talking about how far-reaching the tongue's destructive nature is. He's talking about how far-lasting its destructive nature is too. Look at the phrase, setting on fire the entire course of life, through all of life's ups and downs, from cradle to grave, the tongue, it blazes away. It continually sparks and spits. And at the end of verse six, James points to what fuels this endless fire. The reason we speak such evil, the reason our words can be so hellish in nature is because that's exactly where those words come from. We have a tongue that is set on fire by hell. Listen, this is, this is difficult stuff. This is grim listening. But James says you need to hear it because none of us can underplay the evil nature of our tongue. So many of our words that we say may seem harmless at the time. A spark is something so small. But yet what a great forest to set ablaze by such a small fire. With every word we speak, we are, we are capable of causing incredible destruction. Every word is like striking a match. I forgot my matches. I was meant to bring matches with me this morning. But every word is like taking a match and striking it. Every careless word, every sharp rebuke, every biting remark, every truth not shared in love or grace, with every strike, every spark, the potential to set another great fire ablaze. Careers toppled, marriages falling apart, family feuds that continue to rage on, decades of self-loathing, all because of our words. And it's why James started this section with quite a random, I think, 
uh, sentence or, or, or statement to make in verse 1. He speaks to those who are the would-be speakers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Do you realize the potential for destruction that is in our mouths? James says, mine too. It's a warning that we see in Proverbs 10, verse 19. Where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Now, this shouldn't put off people from desiring to teach God's word, but it should make us consider the seriousness of the task. It should should encourage us to pray for those who do teach God's word, that they would guard their words, because as James says, those who teach God's word will be judged with greater strictness. But that's true not just for those who teach, that's true for all of us. Because listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This church that James is writing to, we've said it already, is a church that is far down the road in the wrong direction. And they need this wake-up call. Because bitterness and infighting, division and conflict, the words that people are using are causing all those things. Massive problems. And you know, it might not describe us right now. I don't think it does. It might describe some churches, but rather than letting us off the hook this morning, because we maybe think, well, we're in better shape than that, I want us to stop for a moment, and I want us to think about how these words that James has, they apply to us here at Village Church today. What are the ways that we maybe sin with our mouths, which we consider to be more acceptable sins, more respectable sins? What about gossiping? Casual or unrestrained conversation about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Is that an acceptable sin for us? Listen to the words of Proverbs 18, verse 8. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. Those juicy pieces of information, those tasty little nuggets that we just tuck away under the tongue for later, for someone that might want to hear about that. And you know, we might say, I'm only passing on the truth. I'm only talking about things that are true. But often, knowing that a story is true is what makes passing it on all the better to us. It gives us a sense of power to hold this knowledge that others don't currently possess. Listen again to Proverbs. There's wisdom in God's word for us here. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Or what about this picture from Proverbs 26, verse 20? Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. A warning for us, maybe? Or what about over-exaggeration? You're someone who likes to stretch the truth to the point of breaking. Your mantra is, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Listen to these words from Proverbs 26, verses 18 to 19. Like a madman 
who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. And lastly, what about spreading rumors, passing on stories or reports which may not be true, unfounded? Here's what Proverbs 12 verse 18 says. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James says, see our tongue? It has the potential for mass destruction, a weapon like a sword. A rash word here could be the thrust of that sword there. And what we all need in this, which Proverbs tells us, a book filled with God's wisdom, James is saying the same thing. What we need is God's wisdom because the tongue of the wise person is what brings healing. And James goes on in verses seven and eight to show us the the wild and the restless nature of our tongue. Look at verses seven and eight. We're nearly done with all the, the difficult stuff here. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. See how all-encompassing this is? James is throwing a blanket over every creature in all creation. Look what man has been able to do throughout the ages. Tame wild animals. Someone somewhere has trained a crocodile to let them put their head in its mouth. Someone somewhere has trained a golden eagle to come and rest on their arm or trained a a king cobra to dance to music. But no one, no human ever in all of history has been able to tame the tongue. It is beyond our control. No one has ever laid in their deathbed and thought, I've not said all the things I wish I'd never said. All of us sin with our tongue. 7,000 words a day on average. And James says that's 7,000 potential ways to fall into sin. James says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. And our stumbling is most evident by the words that we speak. Because the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison, verse 8. Like the venom of a poisonous snake in the bloodstream, our words can paralyze and cripple the soul. The tongue is a restless evil, untamable, a wild and destructive fire. And then the last thing that James says is this, the tongue is a spring, which simply reveals what's at the source. I think there are two things that James is saying with this picture. Here's the first. Look at verse nine. James is saying that our mouth is capable of producing two things, blessing and cursing. With our, mouth, with our tongue, sorry, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. James says it is totally, totally possible for you to stand here in church on a Sunday, for you to sing praises to God with your mouth, We sing the final song, you get up and you leave, you walk out to your car, you open the door, you get in, you close it, and then you say something about someone else. Did you see what they were wearing? Did you hear what they had to say? One tongue, two outcomes, blessing and cursing. It's shocking to think about, isn't it? 
One minute we can praise God with our mouths and the next, even the same breath, we can curse people he has created. James is so direct in all of this, but he is, you can see, he's a loving pastor. He cares about these people because he says, my brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. This shouldn't be the way it is. That's one thing I think James is saying in that final picture, but he's saying something more than that too. Here's the other thing. Look at verses 11 and 12. Because a spring only produces what is at the source. It only produces what's at the source. Look again at verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Well, no. If a spring is pouring out salt water, then it's got salt water at the source. And if a spring is pouring out fresh water, then it's fresh water at the source. And in the same way, the tongue simply reveals what's at the source. Our words reveal our hearts. It's what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 45. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you've got a compassionate heart, then you will hear words that are kind and patient. If you've got a heart that's full of malice and contempt for others, you will hear words that are cutting and biting. If you've got a wounded heart, then you'll hear words that are hurt and are hurting. If you've got a heart that's empty, then you'll hear words that are loud and brash but hollow. And if you've got a heart that is wise, then you will hear words which give wisdom for life. David Gibson, he's a a pastor in Scotland. He's actually writing a book about James at the minute. And he's got this brilliant image. He says this, your tongue is the hinge upon which the door of your heart swings. The tongue is the hinge upon which the door of your heart swings. In other words, when you speak, you open your heart wide for all the world to see. What you're like in here will be seen out here. The divided nature of our words simply reveals the divided nature of our hearts. And it reveals that we all, all of us, me included, we all need to be made whole. We need God's wisdom because this is what the tongue is like for all of us. No one can tame it. And then James, he finishes here by saying, well, if this is what the tongue is like, this is what you need to know. Here is where you need to go. Take your words to God. Did you notice that in this entire section, James gives no imperatives, no action points for us to take away here? Because James is not asking any of us to do what we cannot do. The message is, do not try to tame your tongue yourself because the reality is you do not have the power to do that. It is untamable, restless, and you will never be able to rein it in. But instead, go to the one who can tame it. Take your words to God, because a change in our words can only come about by a change in our hearts. And the only one who can change our hearts is God.
through Jesus Christ. The tongue is the hinge on which the door of our heart swings. So open your heart wide to God. And when you do that, when you allow God to transform your heart, your words will be transformed too. They won't always be perfect. But you will speak as someone who's been changed. Someone who is wise. Look at what James says in chapter 4, verse 6. Here's where James tells us to go. He's telling the people to go here. Here's the solution. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Because he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If we don't recognize our problem here, if we don't humble ourselves and come to God in our neediness, then we will never be able to sort out our words. That's James's message throughout this whole book. God is ready to freely give you what you need. He's right here to help. He is generous. He will generously give to us without reproach, but only if we come to him and ask. Ask for wisdom from the only one who's capable of taming our tongue. The humility of our hearts is everything because James says the only way to change what comes out of here is by changing what's going on in here. And only God can do that. We need to come to him realizing that his love covers a multitude of sins, including the many, many ways that we have sinned with our mouths. We need to come to him realizing that his grace can penetrate and permeate every area of life including the words that we say. James says, draw near to God because he is the one who has the power to tame your tongue. And remember what we've looked at in these last few weeks. We're born to this new life of faith in Jesus through receiving God's word of truth. It's through receiving Jesus Christ. That's how we come into this new life of faith. But the way that we continue to grow and mature in this life of faith is by continuing to receive God's word of truth. By receiving his word daily, being changed by his spirit in us to be more and more like Jesus Christ in, in the words that we say and the things that we do. And what an incredible display of glory, uh, of the glory of God it is if we in our lives are a witness to the transforming power of the gospel. If our tongues are really tamed by him, what an incredible witness that is. So will we pray this week, knowing that we can't tame our tongues, but that God by his spirit living in us, he can. Will your prayers be something like this this week? Lord, please will you do a work in me? Please will you empower me to speak the truth in love. Help my words, Lord, this week to be full of grace, full of kindness and compassion. Help me to guard my tongue from speaking evil. And like David in Psalm 19, will we say that will the, the meditations of our heart uh, and the way that we speak be pleasing in God's sight? We started this morning by saying, our words matter. What we have to say matters. And James would agree, but what James is saying to us this morning, which is infinitely more important for us to get and to take away from here today, is that God's word to us matters so much more. 
There are no words which have come from your mouth which cannot be conquered by his words. There is nothing you have said which cannot be wiped clean by God. Even if here on earth, the consequences of what you've said still lives large. There are no words you have said which cannot be forgiven by him. Even if here on earth, the person you said them to is still unable to forgive you. And there is nothing someone else has said about you which matters as much as what God has to say about you in his word. His word is what brings about the change that we're all so desperate to see because his word, receiving the word, Jesus Christ, is what brings us life. So will we come to Jesus today? Will we receive him and be born to this new life if we haven't already? And if we have been born to this new life, will we continue to receive Jesus, the word of truth? Will we be changed by God's spirit so that we become people who are whole, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing? Will you draw near to God today? Because he will draw near to you. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you're a gracious and a merciful God. Because as we read your word, Lord, and as we consider passages like this, we maybe feel heavy and burdened and weighed down by our sin. Because we know, Lord, that there are many ways, even today maybe in this last week, perhaps, where we have sinned against you, by using our words, that we have brought harm to others by the things that we've had to say. Lord, we know that so often the evil we have to speak far outweighs the good, the, the good things that we have to say. And Lord, we are so sorry for that. We come before you confessing that we need you, Lord, to work in us, to change us, because we are unable to change our words. We cannot tame our tongue. Lord, we need you. You're the only one who has the power to help us bring our tongue under control. Lord, would our words bring blessing to people? Would our words be words that bring healing, soothing life to others? Because, Lord, we want our words to continually point people to you, to your goodness, to your glory. We want to use our words in ways which bring people to the gospel, to see Jesus Christ for who he is and what he offers to us. Lord, again, we need your help for that because often we don't know what to say. Often we feel it inadequate in the words that we have to say, but, Lord, Remind us that it's your spirit that is speaking through us, that your spirit gives us the words to say. And Lord, if there is anyone here today who's not yet put their trust in Jesus, Lord, would they see that what you have to say about us in your word matters so much more than what anyone else in this world has to say? Lord, you are a forgiving God. You've said that in your word. You're willing to forgive us all the ways that we've sinned against you even in our words. 
And Lord, you are willing to give us life if we would only humble ourselves and ask for you to change us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come to the table now. And I realize as, as we finish off today, James is a book like this, but it's maybe left you feeling like your head is kind of low. The posture maybe of your heart right now is one of, of lowliness, of, of unworthiness, of feeling like so much of what was said in our passage this morning rings true for you. You can think in your mind of, of fires that you've set with your words. You can think of things even in this last day or two where you have cut someone deep. You've said things that you're ashamed of. Maybe the, the posture, the way that you feel right now is one of being just brought low. Do you know, here's the good news. The table is for you like that, for all of us like that, because we don't come to the table with our chest puffed out and our head held high. We come to the table in our neediness. We come to the table brought low because we recognize that it's only through Jesus, through his death, his blood shed for us and his body broken for us, that we actually can come before God, that we can offer worship to him which is pleasing in his sight. So if that's the way you feel, that deep conviction in your heart, confess your sin to God, repent now, but know that you can come to the table and that God has forgiven you, that in Jesus, he's wiped away your sin. If you're someone who hasn't yet put your trust in Jesus, this meal isn't for you yet. We'd ask you to leave it for now, but receive Jesus, the word of truth. God's word revealed to us, his son, the word who came to dwell among us. Let's come to the table now and let's praise God.